play-by-play voice Jack Edwards, the Leafs are mulch again. But they aren't the only team to fall in dramatic fashion in a do-or-die game seven. Who is in the second round? How do they get there? Who is going home? Can they bounce back? There's a lot to dissect in the finale of a very crazy round one, but we'll do our best to give you the bigger picture in our main topic. Plus, the 67's unreal run isn't stopping anytime soon because they're off to the OHL finals. Episode 169 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go any further, as always, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. All right, question 56. Here it is. When were the first female players honored in the Hall of Fame? Was it A, 1998, B, 2002, C, 2006, or D, 2010? Well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, either it's either 2006 or 1998. I'm just trying to think if it was before the turn of the century or not. Um, I'm going to say 98. It's actually 2010. Wow. Do you have any guess as to who they might be? Uh, Cami Granato. Yeah, that's one. Uh, That's pretty much the only (laughs) old time... (laughs) women hockey player I know which is sad but um, I think that's yeah I, I don't think I could even guess yeah so uh, 1998 US gold medalist Kami Granada was one of them the other was uh, Angela James who played for Team Canada that's why I thought it was 98 because okay because Kami Granada won in 98 got it mm-hmm. um, alright that's interesting um, and all that stuff um, also, speaking of that, I don't think we talked about it on the show yet, but, uh, isn't like the NWHL, uh, ceasing to exist, but the CWHL is existing or is it the other way around? Um, it's, it's the Canadian women's hockey league. I believe that has folded. Okay. But the um, NWHL is back. There's, there are still moving pieces to that. Honestly, it's, it's an ongoing story. Um, a lot okay. could happen still. So. Interesting. All right. Um, all right. We're going to start things off with the contra- There was a couple of game sevens that happened this week, but there was uh, probably like the. It was one of the best uh, game sevens um, in a long time um, that happened uh, this week. And of course, there is a big controversy in this uh, game. Um, we are talking about the San Jose Vegas game. We'll talk about the other game sevens in a bit. Um, the so what happened was was Vegas was up three nothing um, going into the third period, um, and then around around like 
10 minutes left in the game, maybe a little bit less. Um, there was a call um, where Cody Eakin first hits uh, or checks Pavelski um, after a faceoff, and then uh, Stasny hits him again um, as he was going down. Uh, Pavelski gets um, is injured. His like head was seriously hurt. Um, I saw this like clip where he like there's like blood coming out of the back of his head or something. Yeah, um, it was it was pretty scary. Um, however, uh, Cody Eakin ended up getting five minutes uh, for that uh, injury. Um, but here's the thing that, um, or here's where the controversy comes in, because on the face of it, it you know, it's like all right, well, you would think it would be a dirty hit. But then uh, when you look at the replays and all this stuff, you start to realize that it's, um, you know, it's one of those plays that continuously happens um, that wouldn't necessarily be called otherwise. Um, Would you call it an optical illusion of sorts where it's like, like it's a bang bang play, like right off the bat, like in real time, it's a bang bang play and it looks bad, but yeah. When you look at it in slow motion, you're just thinking maybe that's not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, I think it was the second one. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, but anyways, Cody Egan ended up getting a five-minute major for that call. Let me just finish this up quick, and then we'll talk about it. Um, and then uh, what ended up happening was Kevin LeBlanc happened. Um where I feel like not as many people are talking about it because of this call that wasn't, that shouldn't have been called. Um, but the Sharks got four straight uh, goals. Uh, Kevin LeBanc had like uh, a goal and three assists in that a span of like four minutes, uh, which is very impressive. Uh, Thomas Hurdle had two assists um, and uh, Logan Couture had a goal too. Um, it was just like a way, it was like a rallying cry in a way, his, um, because they thought that Pavelski was hurt by like, you know, they like to, they just turned on their emotions and they were like, oh, Cody Eakin is the bad guy. Cause they didn't see the clip either. Um, and they're, they're just turning it on. And then anyways, uh, then Vegas ends up tying the game four, four, and then it goes into OT um, and then that's when Barclay Goudreau uh, scores the goal. But the thing is, is like this, it wouldn't, the Sharks wouldn't have won without that call. And now the question comes, you know, like the thing is, is when I first saw it, I was like, okay, well, I was kind of like with the refs where I felt like, um, like, okay, well, Pavelski gots, gets injured, um, and, you know, like, I'm of the mindset that if, if someone gets injured on the play, that, like, it doesn't even matter how, like, how it would be otherwise, it, like, that should be called regardless. So, at the very, le at the very least, it should be, like, a two-minute penalty. Um... But then when I continue to look at it and got some more opinions and stuff, it feels like everyone is like, 
um, <laughs> like doesn't even think this should have been a penalty or a five minute penalty. So I don't. So I think it. I think the refs got it wrong. However, I could see why they uh, decided to do that because I don't think they saw the 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 original play. They just assumed that it was a dirty play just because of the results. Um, but like this kind of like brings forth this like question of like should five minute when penalties get announced like especially a five minute major like that that should be reviewable um and that um i mean although that i guess that brings all these other cans of worms but that's kind of where i'm at right now in terms of this call yeah so well why don't we tackle the march so stuff after i talk about um my side of the story because because what March so said is also very interesting but we'll start with uh what series officiating supervisor Don Van Massenoven former NHL referee uh said about the play so here's what he says the refs called a cross-checking penalty for an infraction that caused a significant injury in their judgment the infraction and its result merited a major penalty so that's what the series operator is saying and it sounds like they're making the call here based on the results more so than the actual play like you know blood is Drozdowski's head or helmet you know gets cross-checked off the face off bang bang play I can easily see the possibility of the refs thinking it's that bad in real time but when, when I'm when I'm taking a look at it in slow motion um <laughs> s- slow motion offers a, a whole new kettle of fish and what, what's what's interesting about this is um, the NHL GMs and even NHL executives missed a golden opportunity in the GM meetings recently where they skimmed over the idea, according to Jaron Drager, they skimmed over the idea of on-ice officials having the opportunity to have a 60-second review of major penalties in order to make sure that penalty that's being called is the right call to make. Like what's another 60 seconds delaying the game like how many major penalties do you see getting called in every game like there are some games that go without a major penalty these days so is 60 seconds an extra 60 seconds going to take too long to review a major penalty is it going to slow the game down that much i don't think so and it's a shame for vegas because can it be changed as soon as next year and they, and and their call, it's not going to be reversed. It'll be too late. It's too late to reverse this call, and they're going to argue it robbed them a shot at round two. And they might be right. They have absolutely a right to be angry at the call that was made on the ice, and and I definitely I, I definitely see why Vegas would take offense to that. And what the NHL did is that. The officials that were a part of that game, that would be Eric Furlat and Dan O'Halloran, veteran officials, they're not going to be working round two. Yep. And that can take a hit for their credibility when it comes to future playoffs, more so for this year, because when you're asked to work the conference finals or better yet, the Stanley Cup finals, it shows the NHL has faith in you to make the calls fair, to make the fair calls, to keep the game entertaining. And when you don't even make it past the first round, I think people see that and go, wow, how much do they trust these guys? 
I think it was more of a, like an accountability thing for them. It's like, yeah, you know, they realized that that was a blown call, and then this is the punishment, so to speak. Like, okay, you're not doing the second round um, for this, or you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is their last ser- game um, in the playoffs this year. But yeah. I mean, I don't think they're going to be gone in the regular season or anything like that. But I think it was more of like an, an accountability thing uh, from the NHL's point of view. Yeah, it's it, it's it, it also it, it also kind of reminds me, like on um, on the CBC, like for the playoffs. You know, as the rounds wind down, you start to hear less and less voices calling the games, and yep. you know, the final four they go to. Um, usually consists of Jim Houston and Craig Simpson and they're usually calling the final games and for the longest time it was Bob Cole yeah and then we got to a couple of years ago where you heard less and less of Bob Cole in the playoffs in fact the year that the Sens the year that the Sens I believe made it to uh the conference finals he if he called their series against the Bruins but after that, I didn't hear much about Bob Cole. Right. So as you know, veteran broadcasters, you know, age, you know, they'll start to go to the more newer, fresher faces or slightly less older faces, and 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 they'll go to them. And the torch was passed from Bob Cole to Jim Houston and Craig Simpson some time ago. And I don't know if it's because you know they don't think Bob Cole's a credible broadcaster anymore, or they question his accountability or the way that he calls games or that he's, that he's making the correct calls and, and what he sees on the ice. It, it, it's just a changing of the guard. And um, that's not what this is. This isn't a changing of the guard. This is a case of, okay, they screwed up. They made a bad call. How do we make it so they're accountable and know that? And the best to do that, if you're uh, the Chain government is spot him in two and simple. Yeah, um, uh, you mentioned Jonathan Marchessault had some words. Um, I have the yeah, quote here. Yeah, he had a here. lot. He had a lot to say after the game, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have a quote here. Um, it's the same thing as that football game. The Saints. It changes the whole outcome. The refs just got involved in the game, and now our summer starts. Now five effing months until game one. Uh, that's paraphrase. He had a lot more to say, but that's paraphrase what he was, um, what he said. Um, and then also Gerard Galland had a few things to say where he blamed the refs for, for the call. You know, here's the thing though. It's like, I mean, we talked about this off air. It's like, yeah, it was a bad call. Yes. Um, was it, um, egregious, uh, should it have been called, um, maybe at most, um, it was a two minute major. But at the same time, if okay, the call was bad, but it was still a, you still gave up four goals in five minutes. Like that's like if 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 you were the truly deserving team, you should be able to kill a penalty for five minutes. Like it's not like like yeah, the refs messed up and all that stuff, but like Vegas also like collapsed at the worst time. So that's where it it kind of bothers me where, um, like, yeah, the refs are to be blamed for this, but, and, and Vegas has a right to be angry for this as well, but 
we wouldn't be talking about this if Vegas didn't blow a four goal lead. We would just be talking about like, like, oh, that was just a bad call, but luckily it didn't, you know, affect the game or anything. Um, so I feel like it's it's even different from the Rams situation that Jonathan Marchessault was talking about because that one, like, you know, that one was just the refs didn't even mention it and it had a direct correlation to what what happened at the end of the game um, where everyone could see what was going on. Whereas this one was just the, like, you know, like the the Golden Knights could have just figured it out um, and and killed that penalty. Um, like, you know, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, like, the entire team of the Golden Knights even saw the penalty when it was happening. So I feel like, whereas, like, the Rams-Saints game... They didn't necessarily, or they did see the the play, um, where it has that effect of things. So this was more of the, um, you know, I feel like it's it's a little different because I feel like Vegas, um, like just Vegas should have killed that penalty, um, even if it yeah, was it, a bad one, you know. Yeah, and and to add to Marchessault's point, um. He adds um, that changed the whole outcome of the game, and um, he he goes on to say, you know, if it's three nothing, call it a two minute minor, okay, but a five for something you don't even see, you just call the outcome. Mm-hmm. It's a face off, it's a push, probably fifty percent of the face offs. Players, if they lose, they probably give a small cross check, right? If you want to call the cross check, fine, call it. Yeah, it's a cross check. But he falls bad, and it's unfortunate. And he adds how much of a fan he is for Pavelski, and he hopes that he's okay and that he gives the Sharks credit. But the call changes the whole outcome. He's persistent of that. And he, he, he brings up the New Orleans Saints and, and how it changed their season, that uh, call in the championship game that went against them against the Rams. Um, now, I felt that was an interesting comparison for him to make. Yeah. But if you look at the first two games and you look at how undisciplined the golden knights were the sharks went one for eight on the power play in game one the knights killed off seven of eight penalties they took yeah. in that game and guess what they scored two shorthanded goals not one but right. two shorthanded goals so absolutely they could kill off this five minute power play they killed off seven of eight in game one in game five they had a 3-1 series lead the momentum clearly in their favor with the way martin jones was playing with the five point efforts by stasny and stone and patches playing well um game four another big outing by everyone in vegas everything was going their way and the sharks find out a way to get a win in game six vegas outshoots the living daylights out of san jose and martin jones pulls a rabbit out of his hat forces double overtime sharks only get one shot yeah one shot in double overtime it's shorthanded and it goes through flurry and then they go to game seven and then they're up three to nothing and they give up four straight goals. Call it what you will. It's four straight goals. And guess what? In game, uh, I think it was game two against San Jose, 
the Vegas Golden Knights were up three to nothing in the first, and in a span of three to four minutes, they give up three straight goals. Again, that happened twice, where they gave up at least three goals in a span of three or four minutes. Yeah. Like, they they dug their own grave. I'm sorry, Vegas. You, you dug your own grave on this one. It, it's an unfortunate penalty. I totally get that. They overcame so much adversity just one season ago. They could overcome a five-minute penalty kill. They yeah. had so many of the series. And now season with the hard lesson learned that every team learns. And it sure. sucks that this kill went against them. But all they had to do was just write down the address and hit send. Yeah. And the San Jose Sharks were done. Yeah, and like true. I said, it just happens to every team in hockey. There are tough moments where the ball's in your court and you swing and miss. That's sports. That's life. But it's how you respond after those events that make you stronger or weaker. Those moments test your character and show what your team is truly made of. Yeah. And not too many teams go on the type of run that Vegas did a season ago. Those playoff runs don't happen all the time where everything just happens and all of a sudden you're in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I think Las Vegas need to be reminded of that. And I'm confident they'll respond, but right now it sucks. Yep, for sure. Uh, I think we got, I had a couple of questions here, but I think we went over all of them. Um, we'll talk about okay. Vegas more in our moratorium as well. But no, you, yep. you do have a good point. Like this is the first, like this, if anything, this is like Vegas, this is the first hardship of Vegas's uh, franchise. You know, like this is, uh, like their their season, even though they lost in the Stanley Cup final last year, um, you know it was it was more their season was more than successful because no one predicted that, and now it's just like they're just frustrated, and that's how like twenty like thirty teams feel after every after every season when they don't win. So um, so yeah, congrats Vegas, you are officially an NHL team. Um, yeah, like look, look at Tampa yeah. Bay. Like, like we were just talking about oh, best team in the league, best yeah. team in the regular season. Norris Trophy candidate, Vezina Trophy candidate, potential Hart Trophy candidate. They get swept by Columbus. Mm-hmm. Like, you talk about choke jobs. That's the ultimate choke job. Yep. Um. All right, let's go to the clinches and eliminations here. Um. We're first gonna go to uh. So the Boston Toronto uh, game seven. Um, this one, I mean, this one wasn't the game seven wasn't exactly exciting if you were a Maple Leafs fan. Um, but it, you know, Nordstrom got things going in the first. Then Johansson scored, um, and then in the second period it started to get interesting because John Tavares scores in the second period. Uh, but then in the third period, we have uh, Sean Corrali, who returned. Um, he gets a goal. Charlie Coyle um, gets a goal. And then Patrice Bergeron gets an empty netter. Um, so, um, and yeah, Tuga Rask was phenomenal. Um, and, you know, and so did, like, um, I, I remember it was interesting that um, I don't know if you're getting, I don't think you're getting the U.S. version of the televised stuff, but Mike Milbury does not like Marcus Johansson uh, for whatever reason. Um, he called him like a marshmallow um, and something like that. 
And uh, what's crazy, though, is Marcus Johansson has been, like, our best player, <laughs> our, our second best player on, on the team. Um, but uh, let's go. The, the Bruins uh, played well. Um, we'll talk about them. We'll, get, we'll give a moratorium for Toronto later. But, um, yeah, so br- the Bruins are in. Um, this is the third... Um, time where the Bruins won in game seven against the Leafs um yeah but this was more about like the Toronto Maple Leafs struggling um to even compete than the Bruins being the better team um I felt like um yeah would you agree honestly like this series was so close like Mm -hmm. We could be right in Boston's moratorium right now. Like they, they could easily be sure. out in round one. Um, and I think when you look at the stats, both teams were evenly matched on a player by player standpoint. But in Game Seven, when it mattered, Boston's depth showed up, and the Leafs didn't. Plain yep. and simple. Tukaras, Clayson, Nola Chari got on the board. Corrali and Nordstrom, two points each. Charlie Coyle stepped up. Matt Grizzlick stepped up. Marcus Johansson stepped up. All found the score sheet. Yeah. Um, you know, games one to six, Brad Marchand was a factor. He had nine points. And in the series, him and Pasternak recorded 28 shots apiece in the series. Like, they played a big role overall. Yeah. Um, I think what also went against Toronto was two things. And mostly went for Boston. First period scorelines. I mentioned last week, three times, the Bruins scored two goals in the first period. All three of those occasions, they won. When they didn't, they lost. Guess what? They have two goals in the opening period of Game 7. And they won. And then uh, in special teams, Boston's power play was very, very good. It was killer against the Leafs. And their penalty kill rose to the occasion when they had to. And it just gives you a new batch of energy when you're starting off games on the right note, on the scoreboard. you got a bit of extra swagger to your step that you don't have if you're behind and you feel like every single play matters more and more when you're behind. Like you might be gripping your stick a little bit too tight and you need to stay focused no matter what, whether you're up or down or you're tied, but it's a lot better to stick to your game plan when you're playing Lee. And again, so that has so much support uh, in, off in game seven. I think it's a Austin can get on them in an early game like that because in all list of camp ruins are leading, we're in trouble. And that played to Boston's advantage and Leafs paid for it. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh we'll talk about the Le- we'll do a moratorium for the Leafs later, but yeah, the Bruins are into the next round. And we'll talk about the Bruins in the second round uh as well. Um in the um you know because we're doing a second round update um in a bit um the then the other game seven that happened was the carolina hurricanes and the washington capitals um this was a fascinating game because it started out where you you start like you know burakovsky and tom wilson scores to set things off and you're like all right i think like the capitals are actually gonna get this handled and all that stuff and then Sebastian Ajo scores 
Um, Kuznetsov scores, but he that was his first goal of the series. Turns out that was the only goal he had of the series. Then Tevo Teravainen makes it 2-3. Um, and then in the third period, we have Jordan Stahl making it 3-3. By the way, Jacob Slavin had like three assists in this game, um, including it goes into double overtime. Um, and Brock McGinn, of all people, um, he gets the game winner um, in double overtime. And so this means that Carolina... Um, is into the next round, um, and they played. Uh, they'll play the uh, the Islanders, which is the craziest thing because both teams, um, you know, we both thought that you know after the the Carolina loss, Jeff Skinner, Elias Lindholm, I guess Noah Hannafin, Bill Peters, who turns out to be a phenomenal coach, like they lose all these players. Um, uh, even like Victor Rask, I don't even know if that counts either. But um, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know, they're doing better than all the guys I just mentioned um, in the playoffs. Um, all of a sudden they're into the second round. So it was like I felt like this was the series where like yeah, Washington, like on any given day, I feel like Washington was the better team. But at the same time, it just like. It sounds cliche, but Carolina just wanted it more. They were like they were hungry, and I felt like Washington was more likely just more relaxed about this the entire series. Um, so, uh, good job by Carolina to you know to make this into a thing. I I felt like at game one and game two, like Washington had this handled, and then all of a sudden, um, they Carolina just had this like push and they were they were ready um and washington wasn't so um yeah no it, it was a, it was a good it was a great game seven especially ones that went into double overtime um but yeah no it was a it was a good game so what what are your thoughts on game seven and the series well a huge hat tip to jacob slavin who had nine assists like you said um almost Average exactly 20 minute, 27 minutes of ice time per game mm -hmm. in this series. He's one of the NHL's best defensive leaders in ice time for this entire round. Um, Dougie Hamilton, former Bruin, by the way, had some bad moments, but also had some good ones. Um, what can you say about Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams? He strikes again, yeah, assists on the winning goal by Brock McGinn. Against his former uh, team, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and... The, the fact is Sebastian Ajo and Tebo Teravine weren't as dominant as I originally expected them to be. Jordan Stahl, though, picked up the slack. He had uh, three goals and six points. Uh, Morancic played well in net. But um, Brock McGinn, I don't know if you saw the first play he made to save their season in the Diamonds regulation in Game 7. An outstretched Morancic is, is on the ice. The puck is spotted. Looks like it's going in. And before a capital skater could have easily whacked it in, Brock McGinn just dives out of nowhere, clears the puck out of harm's way. Without that play, Washington probably wins the series right there. But instead, the game continues. Williams throws it on Holpe in double overtime. Brock McGinn there for the tip, goes by him, and the Hurricanes win. Um... And I think it, it really shows the kind of character that this team has to battle back from 2 nothing down to win four of their next five to take this series. Um, 
it, it, it showed the character they've been displaying all year. Tables um, turned against them. Look, look like um, they probably had no business being in the playoffs. They made the playoffs look. They have look like they have no business being around to the shot of making the conference finals. Th- this team just believes in one another, and I don't know what message Brendan Moore is preaching, but it's working, and um, it's it's a really good moment for that franchise. It seems it seems they either don't make the playoffs or when they do make the playoffs, they're primed for a playoff run. I don't understand this team at all. Yeah, no, this, this team is very perplexing, but what's, what's interesting is, is like the other team that's even more perplexing is the Islanders. And one of those teams is going to be in the Eastern conference finals. Um, so it's like a crazy situation in that, in that regard. Uh, but no, I, I'm like I feel like I'm like this is gonna like if the Bruins don't get past uh, the Stanley Cup Finals and the Carolina Hurricanes do, uh, they're my team. Um, I know you don't have a rooting interest. I don't know what what team are you actually rooting for in these playoffs? I'm just rooting for a good playoffs and good hockey, pretty much. But but you're, um, you don't like you're not gonna be upset if any of these eight teams left are going to be gone or I, mean, I, I have a soft spot for a lot of a lot of people i have a soft spot for bruce cassidy because he's an ottawa right. boy i have a soft spot for robin leonard in the season that he's had i have a soft spot for eric carlson and what he's been through true. and and even matt Duchesne, i'd like to see him win as well um i don't think there's really a team that i can pinpoint to and say i want this team to lose at all costs um yeah. there there there's none of that it would it's probably the most unpredictable field. I'll be happy no matter who wins. Yep. Um, as I, 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 especially for the Sharks and, and Joe Thornton, it'd be nice to see Joe Thornton win. Sure. So I think maybe I'd be leaning towards the Sharks because of Thornton and Carlson. Right. But um, you have three other teams, like you have uh, the St. Louis Blues, for example. You have the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um trying trying to think of who the the other team Dallas in the Stars. mix is that that hasn't won a cup. There are oh. three teams in this field Columbus, that have not won a cup in their history. Columbus, St. Louis, and uh San Jose. San Jose, right. Okay. Yeah. So I I'd be happy if if there was a team that won their first Stanley Cup. That would that would be great for hockey yeah, as well. Yeah. That would be cool. So there, right. there, there, there are a lot of storylines that I'm really Yeah, I guess for. that's fair. I'm, I'm just hoping for good hockey. And, and there have been, like, a lot of overtime games. I think there have been 12 already, and three of them have gone to double OT. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, if it's good hockey, if it's entertaining, I'm game. Cool. I just thought there was, like, maybe there was one team that you were rooting for. but um, Yeah, I, I think I think probably San Jose is my real soft okay. spot for Carlson and, and Thornton. Cool. But, All right. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. It wouldn't be the end of the world if they lost. Yeah, San Jose's the other one, just because of Jumbo. But we'll see. Um, and then, oh yeah, so we already talked about San Jose. They clinched as well. We already talked about that game. Um, it was. It was besides all that controversy. It was fun, like amazing comeback for San Jose to win it. And Thomas Hurdle, uh, like, uh, put his words to his mouth and. Or whatever that that phrase is, I don't think that's the right phrase. Money where his mouth is. Money where his mouth is, and he he was right. The Sharks were the better team, and they ended up winning. 
Um, and Thomas Hurdle backed it up as well. He was like phenomenal as well. Um, so, um, yeah, so San Jose is clinched as well. Uh, we'll do moratoriums now. Uh, with the first one is probably the most interesting of these three teams that we're going to do a moratorium for. Uh, Toronto um, has some, they have a pretty, just looking at their cap friendly page right now. Uh, the biggest one is Mitchell Marner is going to be an RFA this year. He's about to be paid. The thing, though, that's uh, going to be kind of tricky, though, with this is that John Tavares is making $11 million. William Nylander is making $6.9 million. Uh, Patrick Marlowe is also making $6.2 million. Uh, Matthews, $11 million is now also on the books here, too. Uh, so you have a lot of, like, they don't have a ton of cap space, which is basically what we're saying. Uh, also, Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen, who both had their moments in the season, they're going to be RFAs. Um, I have a feeling they may be trade bait um, because Marner is going to be their top priority to sign, um, and they need to make up cap room, and Kapanen and Janssen could get... Uh, paid somewhere else. Um, and then you also have Jake Garner, uh, Ron Hainsey, and Martin Marinson are going to be UFAs. Um, Igor Ozaganov is also an RFA, although I saw reports, uh, according to Steve Dingle, that Ozaganov is going to the KHL this year. So they may have um, something there. Um, but yeah, so this is going to be like, this is going to be one of the more fascinating teams this year this offseason uh just because they lost in game seven to the Bruins uh two years in a row um and like their big guns were John Tavares and Jake Muzzin and that didn't do anything uh William Nylander didn't really show up so I don't know what they're gonna do with him Patrick Marlowe was kind of what we were expecting him to be he didn't He's just very old right now. Um, I don't even know if any team is willing to take him on with that contract anymore. So, like, I'm not really sure what the Maple Leafs do now because they can't afford to lose three straight times. Um, they can't afford to have this happen again and again. Um, like, it already happened. You know, twice is enough, um, if that. So, um I know that Mike Babcock's, uh, he, he's, he's fully on the hot seat right now, um, but I'm not necessarily sure if it's, um, like, I feel like it's just like this is a young team still, um, like, they will eventually get better, but it, it's just, I don't know what's, what, to, what to make out of this Maple Leafs team, like, what do they really need to fix? Yeah, and the dangerous part is I don't even think the Leafs fans know what to think of this Maple yeah. Leafs team. Um, oh, I didn't I even mention Nazem Kadri um, is probably getting traded as well. So Yeah, yeah, I'll get to him in a sec. Um, a lot of people are debating whether or not Austin Matthews was used enough in this series. Um, a lot of people are also making yeah. the argument that Babcock was outcoached in the series. Thus question would they fire Mike Babcock were it ever asked 
Um, and I, I, the reason why we're at and because some of this that for the past seasons, he has been a permanent and all one season, and then his team didn't make the playoffs. Period. So, if you were to fire Babcock, the question I have for you is: Okay, you're in a division that already has coaches like John Cooper. Claude Julian, Bruce Cassidy, and now Coach Quenville in Florida. Who are you going to replace Babcock with? And is that coach any better than Mike Babcock? Yeah. And there are very few on the market that are better than Mike Babcock. Too soon to make a move like that. At the same time, though, I like Toronto's proactive ways because Kyle Dubas is wise to say right now, we're going to look at all our options, including himself. He says he's going to be evaluated first, and then they're going to go on from there. And the Leafs need to absolutely evaluate everything right now because this is the most pivotal point of the franchise, and it's not yet complete. If this team wants to be competitive every year, this team needs to know what they've got. In those big moments, when the chips are down, as Steve Dangle, as Steve Dangle said in his uh, end-of-the-year dissection of the Leafs, when the chips are down, Steve Dingle says, I want to know I can trust the guys on the ice. And the Leafs need to feel the same way as the fans do. Can you trust on these guys when the chips are down? Can you count on them? And if the answer is no, you need to move them. If you have faith in them, keep them. And right now it's too soon to tell who's who. Obviously, Marner is going to get paid. We all know that. I think Kapanen and Janssen, they're going to sign with toronto but i don't know what it what their future plans are how long they're going to be kept in the lineup for uh what the pay is going to be like uh martyr is going to be upwards of 10 million and what's interesting about that is i also saw on the twitter machine that there is not a single player on an NHL roster of the teams that are still alive that's making over 10 million a year and the Leafs could have three of those by the start of next season, which is absolutely insane to think about. Um, also taking a look at some other key UFAs, Tyler Ennis's UFA, he's a guy I think around. Kadri, absolutely, without a doubt, has to go. Yep. Three years left on his deal, he's gone. I'm not sure if I can trust him anymore. Two straight playoff rounds, he's been suspended. His offensive value has taken a bit of a shot this year. If you're trying to make cap room, he's a guy, one of the first guys I look at moving. Uh, Patrick Marlowe, he's got one year left on his deal. I don't think he gets brought back after this year, uh, after this coming season. Around that same time, uh, Connor Brown, Freddie Goche, and Travis Dermott are all RFAs. Uh, Gardner's gone on the back end. I think that's pretty clear. Oshiganov, yeah, probably headed back to the KHL, so he's probably gone. Yep. Ainsey and Marinson are UFAs. I think Marinson leaves at the right price. Maybe they bring back Ron Ainsey. The key, the key thing to note about Toronto, though, and this is a good thing, is they have a lot of prospects. They they uh, bump Trevor Moore up and down the minor leagues, up to the major leagues. Um, I think he could be in a more permanent situation next year. Um, on the back end, you have guys like Timothy Lilligren still developing, Rasmus Sandin probably the most talented and most NHL ready of their defensemen uh, in the minor leagues right now. They also have Jeremy Bracco uh, rising up uh, the ranks in the AHL, one of the Marley's best players this year. 
Um, so I think maybe at some point he could be on the big club. What's interesting is, yeah, this year is interesting. This summer is going to be interesting for Toronto. I'm looking at the next couple of years too, because you have Jake Muzzin as a UFA. And then in two years time, Freddie Anderson making 5 million a year yeah. is going to be in RFA. And then the year after that, you have Morgan Riley, who had a 70-plus point season. And those guys are probably going to ask for a pay raise as well if they continue to perform at the level that they did this year. So, yeah, it's going to be a major three to four months, but the problems aren't going to stop for Toronto cap-wise. So this summer really needs to be proactive and productive. And Kyle Dubas can't mess this up. Yeah, for sure. I uh, you you mentioned that Babcock uh, had some some heat uh, after how he handled Austin Matthews in Game Seven, um, and I'm just looking here um, at the the box scores on Game Seven for Toronto here. Uh, John Tavares had 21 uh, minutes of ice time. Marner had 20 minutes of ice time. Which is, you know, that makes sense. They're they're their best players there. Austin Matthews had eighteen minutes of ice time there, um, which is crazy to me. because uh, he should be up there with Marner and, and Tavares in terms of ice time. Um and then you have like Nylander had sixteen minutes of ice time, um as well. So and like I remember even just watching the game, like in the third period when the Leafs needed to score you know, they had like the third line or the fourth line on when that just didn't make sense. So there is definitely this aspect of like Babcock could coach better when you need to have your best guys on the ice in the crucial moments. So it's just like just showing that you have the like the third line on um, for most of the third period just makes it seem like, you know, you're not even trying like why not have Austin Matthews on there or why not have Marner or Tavares like there was a reason why the Maple Leafs even got Tavares in the first place was because you guys were so strong depth wise that you could like you know so that that kind of in in that sense I feel like Bab I do think Babcock is a good coach but I think there is some like trust issues with with his main players um, where I don't think he necessarily trusts Austin Matthews um, specifically. Um, so maybe there is something to this. Remember like last year when Babcock went to Arizona um, and talked with Austin Matthews and they had this like whole like week meeting or something like that um, and, and figured yeah. things out. So like, I wonder if they, like we thought there was something, there, there wasn't anything to it, but like maybe there is, you know. So um, we'll see um, if if I think that's something to look out for in in, in the future. Um, let's go to the Washington Capitals and the moratorium. Um, uh, yeah. So in terms of the Capitals, uh, like next year, they they're not too bad in terms of UFAs and RFAs. Um, like they won't hurt too bad is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, Haglin's going to be UFA. So is Brett Connolly and uh, Devontae Smith-Pelly. 
Uh, there's also Brooks Orpic. I guess that would be pretty bad because he is the assistant captain, but in terms of their actual core, there aren't too many guys that they need to sign um, or that would leave for nothing. Um, Andre Burkowski uh, is going to be an RFA. So is Dimitri Yaskins and Jacob Verana, um, as well as Chandler Stephenson and Christian Juice. Um, but yeah, so I guess the RFAs are going to be a bigger deal, especially Burkowski and uh, Verana. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be like, they're going to cost too much um, of their cap space, although they only have 20,000 cap space left. So they aren't um, in great shape from that perspective. Um, so yeah, the, um, I guess, oh wait, looking here, their projected cap space um, next year is 6 million. So they have a couple of uh, dollars to work with there. But um, yeah, I don't think they're, they're too bad. I mean, obviously Ovechkin, um, is only getting older, like Backstrom's getting up there in age as well at 31. Um, and you know, eventually they'll have to figure out what they're going to do with Elias Samsonov, but I don't think they're going to worry about that. Um, oh wait, maybe they will. Cause Braden Holtby is going to be a UFA, not this season, but next season. Um, so maybe they will try to see what Ilya Samsonov has uh, next year um, in that in that sense. Yeah, their goaltending situation is going to be uh, interesting. Um, just taking a look at some of the stats, I mean, it's not like their big stars failed them. I mean, right. Tom Wilson had five points, John Carlson five assists, Ovi and Backstrom had nine and eight points respectively because Netsov had six uh, before – Getting injured in game four, Oshie had two points in four games. Um, I will say, though, that Kuznetsov like, could have played better. Um, yeah, I suppose. And, and I, you know, it, it doesn't look good when, when Holby gets out dueled by the Carolina Hurricanes. But yeah. I, I don't, I think in a way, he didn't get out dueled because there are games like game three and, and even in that double OT thriller where Carolina got 40 plus shots on Holtby. So there, there, there were games where Holtby was certainly tested. Um, and I, I think this, this matchup reminds me a lot about Boston, Washington in 2012 round one, where it went to sudden death overtime in game seven. And the longer the Capitals hung around, the bigger the trouble Boston had to deal with. And I just think Washington couldn't finish the deal when they had the chance heading into game three, and that's on them. They didn't have the killer instinct they had uh, like they did last year, like Columbus didn't have against them in round one of last year's playoffs. They they built up a 2 nothing series lead. They had a chance to really send Carolina, fire them into the sun, them out, do so, and it cost them big time in the long run. And, and Carolina is one of those teams where if you if you let them hang around too long, they could beat you. And I, I think a lot of people are doubting whether or not this core can win when they get knocked out in the first round, and it's not by Pittsburgh. It's by the freaking Carolina Hurricanes. Um, but I, I still think they have a bright future. Um, they, they do have some interesting contracts to hand out. Uh, Jacob Verana, for example – didn't get a single point in these playoffs, but in the regular season, he had 24 goals and 47 points. Um, 
also seen icing his shoulder throughout round one, like Zach Hyman and the torn ACL that's now going to keep him out for about six months. You, you wonder how much of that, you know, impacted uh, Washington's ability to close out this series, that they didn't have a guy like Jacob Verena at full strength. And he confirmed that he was playing through an injury, but declined to specify what the injury was or how bad it was. He said that, you know, it was good enough where he could play. Um, so it, all, all things considered, he had a good year. It'll be interesting to see what uh, the restricted free agent gets this summer. Uh, another interesting uh, potential signing is uh, UFA by the name of Brett Conley, who scored 20-plus goals in the regular season. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of money he gets. Uh, Yaskin Stevenson are also our face. So is Andre Burakovsky, who struggled to get his game going in the regular season as well as the playoffs. So um, if the Caps are saving cap room, maybe a couple of those names um, are tossed aside. Uh, Haglin, Devontae smith Pelly are unrestricted free agents on July 1st. Um, both of them might be on their way out, especially smith Pelly, who was put on waivers. Haglin bouncing around uh, two different teams before finding a home in Washington. He, he, he provided a bit of upside late in the season and a lot of grit as well, so maybe he gets a one-year for his performance, but we'll see. Um, Christian Juice, like you said, another RFA on defense. Maybe Orpik comes back if he still wants to play in the prices right. Um, the next two years are going to be very, very pivotal as well for the Capitals because next year, Nicholas Backstrom and Braden Holtby are unrestricted free agents. And the year after, it's Alexander the Great. So um, yeah. there are three big fish they need to re-sign within the next two years. And it'll be interesting uh, to see how they approach that. Yeah, uh, for sure. It'll be interesting. But I don't think they have, like, it's not it's not like the lease um, in terms of, uh, like, worrying about it this offseason. But they do have some stuff yeah. in the in the. Development of Samsonov is also going to be interesting. Uh, How they they think about that and how much they give Holby as well. Um, I don't know if they're going to be willing to give him an eight-year extension to keep him in Washington. Maybe they go a safer five-year route. So that when Samsonov is – if Samsonov is their guy moving forward, you don't want to ink Holby for like eight years and, you know, have to – trade be forced to trade a bad contract you know if samson all about performs holpe so um i i think if they sign holpe maybe they're wise not to go the full eight years and maybe just sign him for five but we'll see yeah uh we'll see um for sure um all right let's go to the vegas golden knights their moratorium here um they you know we talked about their loss um to start the show um they have an interesting because because of the addition of Mark Stone, um, who's going to be making nine point five million next year, and uh, you know eight, eight more years or seven more years after that, um, it it, it uh, gives a little bit more pressure now on Vegas and their in their window. Um, Paul Snazny is making six point five million as well. That's for two more years. Um, and then you also have Max Pacioretty on there. Um, same with Jonathan Marchessault, who's making $5 million. So that's not too bad. 
Um, let me see here. Um, for some reason, they have a. I'm just looking at their cap friendly page. They have a guy named Jimmy Schuld, um, who's on an entry level contract that's making six million, which does not make sense. I know that surprised the heck out of me too. Um, is he an actual player though? I feel like this is just a like a he, glitch. He was he was one of those college signings that under our news to notes rug because so much was happening one week, I guess. Oh. But uh, yeah. So Adam as a college free agent, I guess I, it kind of is similar to Nikita Gusev, where it says he's an RFA but hasn't really played too many games for them. In okay. fact, I don't think he's played a game but for what? Vegas. Um, but uh, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how that stuff All works. Right. Where you find someone for like one year and like they're they yeah. don't even play a game for you, and then your season's over and. It's just like, okay, what are you going to do with this guy now? Well, it's, it says here that because the contract is a one-year ELC that was signed after the start of the season and is therefore subject to an increased cap hit value. But that means he's making $6 million. That doesn't make sense to me. So, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Something's that, going that, on with that. Anyways, <laughs> uh, he's going to be an RFA um, next year, but, uh, there aren't too many UFA, I guess there's UFA Brandon Peary, um, he's gonna be UFA this year, uh, Pierre-Edouard Belmar is also gonna be a UFA, and so is Ryan Carpenter, uh, Derek Engeland, um, is also gonna be a UFA, so that's gonna be, uh, an interesting signing, because he's, like, the captain there, the unofficial captain there. Um, and then you also have Malcolm Subban's going to be an RFA. Uh, we can, I'm sure he'll be paid somewhat, um, or he'll have an increase in pay. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about Vegas is who are they going to add? I feel like they could add some players, um, maybe. Um, like, I remember you were mentioning that you thought that maybe they could get Eric Carlson. Um, but if they were to do that, I feel like they'd have to trade Theodore, Colin Miller, or Nate Schmidt um, somewhere uh, just to make it work cap-wise. Um, but I, I would be interested to see that if they were able to add on Eric Carlson on there. Um, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But I think they're in relatively good shape other than all the free agents I just mentioned there. Um, yeah, yeah. While, while you're on that subject, uh, how many of those, like how many of Miller, Theodore, McNabb, uh, all their defense, how, how many right-handed shots do they have? Um, it says here that they have four. Okay, and who are those? Colin Miller, Nate Schmidt, Nick Holden, and Derek Engeland. Okay. And Derek, Derek is interesting because he's kind of the heart and soul of the Golden Knights. Yeah. I think they probably keep him just because of the local connection they have and what he means to the team. Yeah, um, that is, he is 30, uh, 37 years old, so I don't know. He yeah, may retire. Yeah, getting up their age, no question, yeah. yeah. Um, like a cap-friendly defenseman, um, probably Colin Miller would be on his way out, I think. Um, yep. Just the, the way McNabb and and Schmidt have kind of evolved their play and, and Shea Theodore, I don't know if you saw his stats in the yeah, playoffs. He had, too. he had eight points. 
So I, I think I think Colin Miller is probably the most expendable. Um, but I, I a part of me still thinks they could go after Eric Carlson. I don't know why. A part of me still yeah. thinks that Vegas is going to get their guy. And yeah, it would be so nice to see Mark Stone and Eric Carlson on the same team again. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, um, I, I actually I feel like it, it's not impossible. It does seem unlikely just because they already pay, are paying like Mark Stone, Stasny, Pacioretty, um, and Marchessault a lot of money already. But um, I'm not saying it's impossible though either. Um, they would just have to get rid of like Nate Schmidt or Colin Miller. Um, or even Shea Theodore, because just because of their cap hit. But I feel like Vegas does need help on the defensive side of things. So yeah. <laughs> there wouldn't be, um, there would be nothing better if they could somehow figure out a way to get Eric Carlson. Unless Eric Carlson yeah. wants to take a pay cut. Yeah, maybe. You know, if it, if it means you know, playing Vegas, playing with if Mark you, Stone. Yeah, if he wants to play with, uh, with his boy yeah, Mark Stone, yeah. Yeah. Um, t- taking a look at uh, what Vegas did in the playoffs there, Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, this is why the playoffs isn't a total loss, because Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty really developed some chemistry, I feel yeah. like. They uh, combined for 11 goals and 23 points in round one. Uh, Paul Stasny also saw his value go up as well. Riley Smith was also very good, too. Yeah. And, and for Patches, especially after a dismal regular season, like to his standards, I call it dismal. Um, I think that's a bit of mojo going into the summer that he could really feed off of. Like, yep. did you know he finished sixth amongst NHL scares and shots on goal in the first round? I did not. He had 30 shots pretty solid. Um, so if that's what they could do in the playoffs, I'm interested to see what Stone and Patches could do a full season together. Um, the top line, Marshall Smith and Carlson, you're right. Uh, they also did a decent job. Um, Fleury's performance wasn't terrible. He had his moments. I don't think he was as lights out as he was in the playoffs last year. But... Um, um, coupled with the solvers, so... He didn't really have impact to in fact play, but um, at the same time, you know, he had a good so there were two still a relatively bright future in Vegas. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they pay William Carlson after compare last year. Last year was unreal. This year be used to expecting from him, maybe like near 30 goals but not really um it, it'll also be interesting how they approach the malcolm suban situation because if you look at uh, the free agent pool there are a lot of depth goaltenders that maybe could do a better job than malcolm suban can at the right price you know you could get someone like varlamov to back up flurry or craig anderson or anders nielsen or even mike smith mike smith could be a solution for them too at the right price so, um, depending on how much they value Malcolm Subban, depending on how well he fits their vision moving forward, um, nothing nothing tells me that Malcolm Subban is on track with Fake. Yes, so I, I, he could stay, but he could also on what their vision is. 
Um, like I said, how they deal with the Nikita Gusev situation there. Uh, Core, like you said, with Schmidt and Miller, McNabb and Theodore, they all have three plus years left on there to be re-upped for, for a while. Um, Nick Haig is also going to enter the picture, I would think, in a few years. Same with Cody Glass. Um, and and they'll have a couple of interesting names uh, hitting the UFA market uh, as well. Uh, after the season, uh, the year after, uh, you'll have RFA, um, Carrier, and UFA, and Reed. Both, I guess, the top dependent hits in the regular season dictate um, the physical play the physical style of Vegas that I think makes them really tough to play against so uh, it'll be interesting to see what those guys make in a couple of years uh, and if their future lies the Golden Knights still but um, there's definitely a lot for Vegas um, George McPhee still has some work to do but I think they're another step closer of where they need to be yeah um yeah, I think they're in relatively good shape. I I know that they they lost in the worst way uh, this time around, but I think there are there are definitely things that they can work on. Um, they'll be a they'll be a good team for a while now. I feel like um, yeah. the at, only at least at least they at least they weren't the first to do that. I mean, yeah. the the Maple Leafs had that dubious honor of choking up a three-goal lead with less than 10 minutes and losing in overtime to Boston. So uh, Vegas is probably not the last team to choke like that, but they're certainly not the first. The only concern I have with this team, though, is their goaltending, just because I'm not necessarily sure how good Flurry will be um, in the next couple of years, just because he's like Mm -hmm. 30, you know, just because he is getting up there in age. He's 34 right now. Um, that's not necessarily... He's not James Reimer. Um, so uh, he uh, will see if um, if he'll be able to um, make up what he's lost. And I'm not necessarily sold on Malcolm Subban just yet. Um, so I will be curious to see how they handle that situation in the future. I definitely think if they don't acquire a young goalie by a trade, they should draft a young goaltender that they feel could be a key piece of their franchise because yeah. that is the one thing you're right that they still need and I don't think they've perfectly nailed yet. Like yeah. guys like Oscar Dance, guys like Maxime Legacy, um, guys like Dylan Ferguson, I don't know if they're cut out to take over once Flurry leaves. So yeah. um, they're going to need to. Uh, to pick a goalie, develop him for a couple of years, and make sure he's ready when Fleury flies the coop. Because you're right, uh, prime years of Mark Andre Fleury, uh, they're slowly ticking away. Yep. Um, all right, let's go to uh, our rapid fire. We only have one item on the rapid fire, which is <laughs> just the second round. Um, we both wrote some notes. I don't know what you wrote. I have what I I wrote. I have a couple here. But um, I figured since the last time we did like a roundup of, of the first round, I kind of led the way in terms of all the notes. So uh, you, ha- you can just say all the notes you have and I'll, I'll add um, if, if I have anything on that. 
So, so just a, a quick little recap of round one because I, I, we, I remember talking about this off the air. I don't think we ever discussed it on the air. I, I honestly think this is the most unpredictable, crazy, messed up on drugs round of playoff hockey I've ever seen. Yep. Uh, where all division winners get knocked out, go a combined six and sixteen in round one. Yep. Um, and and I wonder how good or how bad this is for the game. And I think it's more good than bad. And it's and I I, I say that because no matter what the NHL does, the NBA playoffs for whatever they are, yeah, they're always going to get more attention, no matter what hockey does. And and one of my colleagues is a casual hockey fan. And after Washington's Game 7 loss to Carolina, he's not watching the NHL playoffs this year because there's 0% worth anything that's watchable. There's 0% watchable content for him. It's not worth watching. Um, But I go about it as a hockey fan thinking, you know, like you said, one of the Hurricanes and the Islanders are going to be going to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's not going to be the same old scripts getting rehashed all the time like we've seen in the previous NBA Finals. Um, there's a lot of intrigue to the playoffs and we're not going to see it all the time. I think it's a once in a lifetime playoffs that I think everyone should watch and experience for themselves because this messed up field isn't going to be around very often. I don't think you're going to see it very often beyond this year. I think you're going to see more of what you expect next year, but it's good to see other markets like Columbus getting more involved. And markets like Dallas and Colorado re-enter a crowded playoff picture. And there's not much separating these teams anymore. And that's what makes playoff hockey fun. That yeah. being said, there are a lot of stuff in round two that I am looking forward to. This um, uh, like Wait, can I interject quickly? Added, uh, sorry, you, you, you had something there? Yeah, I just wanted to interject quickly. I, okay. I think this is like a good topic for the offseason, but like... I, I did wonder that in terms of like like yeah all this like parody is is great for the league because we have teams like Carolina, uh, New York, uh, Dallas, Colorado. They're like getting back into it and like you know you're getting all these new markets and stuff. But then you were just talking about your casual friend, um, like he's not you know casual hockey fa- fan he's not going to pay attention to hockey anymore just because of all these upsets and stuff. Um, so it kind of just makes me wonder if like, is there too much parody now or like, is this good for the game or not? Um, yeah. Because, so so you know, definitely, like you said, we can expand more on it in the yeah, off season. But I, I, sure. I, just, I just wanted to throw it out there. Oh yeah. Like I, sure. I haven't seen, I I've seen, you know, obviously some wacky upsets, right. but like I'm, this many wacky upsets in the same round. Yeah, I think this is the first time ever that all division, all the division leaders are lost in the first round. Mm-hmm. So. And one of them was the best team in the NHL, and they got swept. Yeah. Anyway, um, so going uh, to my thoughts on round two, the goalie duel we had in Brooklyn in game one was. Yep. It, I think that's a very underrated matchup, but it could really emerge as to be one of the finest we see in round two. Yeah. Like, Peter Morasic and Robin Leonard were matching each other save for save in game one of Who thought uh, we would be saying that? Series. Who thought we would be saying that in the regular season? Yeah, no, no kidding, yeah. A scoreless yeah. tie going into overtime as well, which yep. is insane. 
So, um, and what's even more crazy is five of Peter Morazic's nine wins have been shutouts. Wow. So that that's yeah. pretty that's pretty crazy to have five of your nine career playoff wins be shutouts. So that's yeah. that that's one heck of a stat to own. Um, I also noticed uh, speaking of goaltending duels, uh, Raskin Bobrovsky could be another good one to watch. Um, I, I I know probably a lot of you are thinking, well, Bennington and Bishop are pretty good. Yeah, I was but, about to mention uh, that one. The way that uh, Bobrovsky played in previous years against Boston, Boston looked like a team that really had his number. But looking at these first two games at TD Garden, the way Bobrovsky's playing, that could really turn around. Yeah, very he's quickly. been good. Yeah. So, um, Bobrovsky against the Bruins, that should be an interesting matchup to watch. And then uh, Jumbo Joe and Brent Burns uh, in game one of uh, Sharks abs. That was also fun to watch. Um, with the Sharks down two to one, Jumbo Joe gets a goal and an assist, immediately turns things around in San Jose's favor, and Brent Burns gets four points in that game. That so, was also Joe Thornton's 100th career playoff assist. Yeah, kind of a legend. Yeah, um, all, yeah. It's it's amazing that the Bruins. Remember, I don't. I think I talked about this before, but uh, the main reason why Joe Thornton was traded from the Bruins was because uh, they felt like he he would never be a good playoff performer, and he obviously proved them wrong here. So, in more ways than one. Anyway, what, what are your thoughts on uh, round two so yeah, far? Yeah, uh, so I had three games of the six games so far. I mean, there's going to be two that are going to be playing by the time uh, this comes up, but I thought that, that it's interesting of the three game of the six games, three of them have gone into OT. One of them was in double overtime, um, and, you know, two of them were in the same series with the Bruins. Um so I, I thought that's kind of interesting that, like, there's so many more. Like, I feel like this second round may just be, like, the overtime uh, <laughs> round where all these games are going into overtime. So I thought that was interesting. I already mentioned this before, but Joe Thornton recorded his 100th uh, career playoff assist. So kudos to him. Um, you, you talked about this guy in the first round when we did a preview of the first round. Uh, Rup Hintz. I think it is it. I don't know how to pronounce his first name. I think it is it like Rupe or is it just Rup? I don't know. Um, I anyway. think it's Rupe. Yeah, uh, anyways, he had a. No, I think it maybe it's Rupe Hints. Okay, so I was right the second Rupe. time. His, his first name is pronounced Rupe. Rupe. Okay, so Rupe Hints. Uh, he had two goals and one assist in game two. He also had a goal. Um, I mean, he had an assist in the game one, so he has like four points um, in two games. Uh, he's this is this is kind of like a breakout uh, like series for him. It seems like if he can keep this up, um, so uh, keep keep a lookout for him. Uh, he's a he's a player to watch, like you mentioned in the first round. Um, Charlie Coyle, um, he's been amazing. Uh, he's been yeah. by far the Bruins' best player. Um, not even in the second round, but in the first round, he was amazing too. I think he has like six goals, um, in the playoffs. Um, he's been fantastic. And, you know, even like last game where it felt like the, the top line was not going well. Um, they're not doing things, but Charlie Coyle was making plays happen. He was contributing defensively. 
Um, Marcus Johansson was also phenomenal too. So um, I, you know, I was skeptical about the trade uh, to get Charlie Coyle. I was also a little bit skeptical about getting Mojo, but uh, Don Sweeney may be the best GM of all time, uh, just because of how Coyle and Johansson have been really good so far in the second round. Um, so I wanted to I, shout. I feel them out. like this trade is it could be more of like oh, yeah. uh, for sorry for Zabanichad, where for one playoff it looks really good, and then after that it's a landslide win for the other team. But yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I'm just saying enjoy this playoff run while you can, because I don't know how long of um, beast mode Charlie Coyle we're gonna see in a Bruins <laughs> uniform, but. If you know what, if he keeps playing like this, you know, keep it going. They seem to have a really good connection. Yeah, the past couple of games. For sure. I mean, it's it's not like a it's it's already that we won the trade or anything like that. But and Coyle <laughs> still, you know, I guess that was the big knock when he, when he was in Minnesota was like how he was inconsistent. So we still, you know, it's he's only played in eight, uh, nine games in the playoffs so far. But um, so that's kind of like a small sample size, but. Even still, like I, I, I just want to see that he's he's done more than I expected him to do. Um, in the playoffs, so right now it's it's worth it. Um, if the Bruins can win the Stanley Cup, I think the trade is is worth it, even if like uh, Charlie Coyle falls off a cliff or something like that. So, um, so that, uh, so I just wanted to shout out Charlie Coyle. Uh, you mentioned two other goalie duels. I wanted to mention Bennington and Bishop. Um, it, I, I, it hasn't happened so far because the first game was more the Blues showing what they can do and then the second one was more about what the Stars showing what they can do but I have a feeling there's going to be a goalie duel one time or another because Bennington what dominated the first game, Bishop dominated the second game and I have a feeling that um, eventually both of them are going to dominate the game together and that, that'll be exciting too especially because the Blues and the Stars have quite a bit of forward um, strength, so I, I'm I'm going to be curious to see that battle in the future. Um, yeah. And then lastly, I have Carolina keeps on rolling. Uh, Jordan Stahl had an o- overtime goal. He seems to have like picked it up all of a sudden. It's like a rejuvenation for some reason um, in the playoffs here. So. Um, I like what I'm seeing. Just not even just like Tevo Teravine and Sebastian Aha. We kind of all expected those guys to make plays, but like you got guys like Tavo, uh, Jordan Stahl, like I mentioned. Um, Brock McGinn had the overtime winner in Game Seven. You had a uh, Warren Fogle had a couple of goals in in against Washington. Um, yeah, Fogel has been really impressive yeah, in the playoffs. Um, there's like, uh, you know, there's a couple, Nino Niederreiter, um, speaking of Minnesota guys. So, like, those guys are, like, I don't know, Carolina are, like, are I feel like they're the hottest team right now, um, which is weird to say. Um, and so they could just keep on rolling. Uh, so, yeah, those are all the notes I have in terms of the second round. Um, and I'm sure you have some more notes uh, on your Bruins and where this series is headed. But before before you do yeah. that, do you mind uh, if I uh, add my uh, two cents on uh, what I've seen in that series? Uh, 
Yeah, well, I was gonna save that for the '67s Bruins series, but yeah, you can, you can, uh, I guess you can mention that now. Steve. Um, but uh, yeah, like you said, the chemistry between Coyle and Mojo has looked really solid. Um, Krejci injury had um, Marsh again, which <laughs> yeah. Honestly, there are times where I really like Brad Marshaw and find him very humorous. That was one of them. Um, oh, yeah, Riley I, Smith. I'm also, I'm, I'm also kind of yeah. scared um, for Boston heading into game three. Um, I think if they take a 2 nothing series lead there, um, they're in a much better position. But Columbus has been playing. I'm just really nervous that they're just going to go home four and then have the upper hand heading into game five but um yeah i was i was thinking that yeah. oh sorry I, I, I are you done or no <laughs> yeah no no I'll, I'll let... okay uh yeah i you know the first game i felt like was more of an aberration like you know the the blue jackets scored um thir like in 13 seconds they scored two goals um but like for the most part the bruins were able to handle it i mean everything charlie coyle uh took over um and was a god there and then in the second game it felt like the bruins aren't what the bruins we've seen all season um something's going on with pasternak marshawn and bergeron but they're not playing to their way Especially, not just on the offensive side of things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, the defensive side of things. Like, they're, like, they're giving, unco like, uh, I don't know what the word is, but, un uh, like, costly defensive lapses in their games. Um, there's, like, they've given up turnovers, um, which is very, um, you know, not characteristic of what we're used to playing uncharacteristic yeah unordinary unordinary of what we're used to so um so that's a little bit concerning is our top line like the reason why our top line has been so good is not like yeah we can score and all that stuff but they're like very good on de the defensive side of things as well and like they they seem to be not at doing as well on that side of things as well so it's kind of a, a little bit frustrating on that sense of things because we know, I know that the Bruins could be playing so much better uh, just from the top line and, and they haven't. Um, so, so there's that. And I mean, I guess the good news is that like we've been talking about this all year, um, how like their depth hasn't been great. Um, and, you know, we've, when, when Bergeron and Marshawn and Pasternak are struggling, who's going to step up and it seems like guys like Coyle, Mojo, uh, McAvoy, Krug, those guys have stepped up, but, um, but like on the other end, it's like, come on, Bergeron, Pasternak and Marshawn. There's a reason why, uh, you guys are the best team and there's like, they're the favorite. They need to step it up and, um, that's not happening right now. And I feel like that's going to be the key to this series is if the Bruins, um, if the Bruins, they, they can win this series. 
Um, but the only way that they're going to be doing this is if Bergeron, Marshawn, and Pasternak are on their game. I said this a couple weeks ago uh, in the Toronto series, but um, all three of those guys have to pick it up um, or else they're gone um, in the next round. So, um, yeah. Now, um, you mentioned Pasternak. Um, you, you also you also told me off the air in an yeah. email conversation that uh, we that we go through as uh, with every episode and yeah. our our conversations get very extensive. But you were That's mentioning true. how Pasternak was getting a lot of flack on Twitter after Game Two of Round Two. What was up with that? Yeah, well, it's more on Reddit than a uh, Twitter, but like it seems okay. uh, it seems like a lot of people, a lot of Bruins fans are uh, are in particular uh, criticizing Pasternak because it seems like he's not trying. Um, there was a couple of turnovers in the game. Um, I felt like it was a little strange just because like he did score a goal um, in game two, although it was a lot to do with Charlie Coyle um, and it all like it hit off uh, Pasternak's skate, so it wasn't like Pasternak did anything to score the goal, but it was still still a goal is a goal, so he is doing something. But I think uh, like and also like there was definitely times in game two where Marshawn like should have shot the goal the point or instead passed it, and the same with Pasternak. So a lot of people are very critical on Pasternak in particular. Um, and where they even want him benched um, the next round, which I think is going way too far. Um, yeah, sure, he could be playing better, like I just mentioned, but uh, benching him does nothing. Um, he is our best player when he is um, good, you know, when he's on. So um, it would be useless to uh, bench him. Um, maybe put him on with, like, a, a different line mate or keep him on with, uh, you know, I think he would, he had some lines with, um, Krejci and DeBrusque, um, maybe keep him on with them, but, um, so, you know, you have a consistent line mates or something like that, or put him back with Bergeron and Marshawn, but something needs to change in that regard, but, like, benching him for the entire game is going way too far with that, um, he does need to be playing better, but, um, it does seem like Bruins fans are angry at Pasternak with his play right now. Yeah, and I, I, I guess I, I can understand why for Bruins fans because they remember us when I had totally forgotten until uh, the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast crew reminded me Pasternak kind of killed it in the two rounds he played last year. Like he yep. was one of the NHL's top three, top five scores, like fifteen to twenty points in the playoffs and not nearly letting it up on the score sheet as much, especially in terms of goals. So, um, yeah, I can understand why the bar would be so high. I'm, I'm kind of keen uh, what you thought of uh, Riley Nash on David Krejci yeah. and uh, the Marshaw versus Atkinson uh, stick stuff there. Yeah, that was an interesting – I mean, it's funny because Riley – when Marshawn is right, when he was on the Bruins, Riley Nash never took a hit. Um but yeah, it seems like, uh, yeah, Riley, if for those at home who aren't watching this series, um, the uh, in game one, Riley Nash hit, checked a Krejci, um, 
into it wasn't into the boards, but uh, Krejci looked a little bit flustered, flustered, and he didn't play for the rest of the game. He did play in game two though, uh, but it was it was kind of interesting because Riley Nash like never hit when he was on the Bruins, and um, that was like his first. It felt like his first hit. That's not just a part of his game. He's he's definitely a good player. He's just not like a hitter. Um, but it's uh, so that was an interesting play. But it's, it seemed like Krejci is uh, is playing, so that's the good news. I was worried that he was going to be out for the rest of the series, but at least he's playing, um, and he had an assist in the game um, in game two. So there's something there. So at least it wasn't he wasn't totally affected that by that. So I think it's just like like bygones be bygones. It was a weird situation. Um, it's just lucky that Riley, uh, that Krejci isn't seriously hurt or anything like that. Um, and then as for the Atkinson, Marshawn stuff, there was like, uh, I think there was a couple of times where like Marshawn slapped, uh, slapped Atkinson's stick and broke his stick and then Atkinson had to get a new stick. Um, and then they had a couple of bit of words in there. I think... I don't know. That's it. Seemed, it, it what what yeah. makes it funny for me is that they were actually showing on the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast all those hits. Marshall was saying, just like, okay, he's going to react now. And he doesn't, he just minds his own business. And then yeah. before a face off, he just steps on his skate plate. Yeah. Or his stick plate, rather. Yeah. So it's, it, 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 just like, you never know when Marshawn's going to get you. And he, he's just got he that little that, bit of a yeah. pass where he, Pest side where where now he's more clever. He's picking his battles. Like you're not expecting to get a reaction out of him every time. Like he's very selective now. I find. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is good too. Um, yeah. I mean, I think in in that sense, it's like you know, it's it's apart from the game. So it's it's whatever really at this point. Um, I have some Tuga Rath stats, but I feel like I should give it to you for the Ottawa 67s first. Okay, well, I'll be pretty quick with the 67s. Uh, what you need to know is they're going to the OHL Finals for the first time since 2005. I may sound like I'm not enthusiastic, but I really, really am. Uh, they're either going to face Guelph or Saginaw, depending on who wins that series. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday night uh, will be game six, so you might know the, the end result, but if Guelph is down three games to two, they were down three to one, they got a big win in game five over Saginaw. So if they win game six, we get a game seven. Obviously, if Saginaw wins, they win the series. Um, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll be, uh, they'll either face one of those two teams Game four is really interesting because uh, the Generals got on the board in the second period and it stayed one nothing until the very end where the 67s pulled their goalie and then they get a power play and they're moving the puck around. The Generals were under siege, but like they were doing their very, very best to like really to, to really weather the storm and make sure Ottawa didn't tie it. And the 67s weren't getting the good looks they were looking for but you know what on on a lot of occasions that would frazzle some teams they kept moving their feet to ottawa's credit they kept moving their feet and what do they do they draw another penalty they go in a six on three they get things set up tie Fallaber, boom 30 seconds left tie game 
go to overtime, 20 seconds in, still on a power play, boom, Ty Falibur ends it, game over, series over. That's just the kind of stuff this team can pull off on a dime. And I I don't know what it is, but this this 67 team just has something special going. 12-0 in the playoffs, three straight sweeps, and um, they're going to start the OHL Thursday May, Thursday, May 2nd, depending on who they face. If it's Saginaw, it'll be Wednesday. If it's Guelph, it's Thursday. Uh, and I'm really, really hoping to go to one of those games. So um, if I do, I'll tell you how it goes. Uh, I also liked how they, after all of that, uh, they were able to spend time in their community helping out because there's a lot of local flooding that's happening in Ottawa. Uh, where we live, we're totally fine. But, you know, areas like close to like the river and stuff like that, uh, Gatineau, Constance Bay, um, a lot of other areas like Armprior, a lot of um, surrounding regions, um, they're not having a good time at all. And they're at risk of flooding or have been affected by flooding already. Other areas that could get a lot worse. and they were helping out filling sandbags at Constance Bay uh, and just loading them up. And that was a day or so after they won their series against Oshawa. So um, just to take time away and help out the community, that's that's a good example of, you know, hockey players like taking a step back, realizing the important stuff and helping out there too. So um, love the team, love what they're doing for the city and Given how bad the Sens have done this year, it's a perfectly well-timed distraction. And no matter what happens, a lot of people are going to remember this team in more ways than one. And uh, hopefully they get a championship uh, to wrap it up. And uh, in order to get some Memorial Cup, they have to win this series. So um, hopefully uh, the ride doesn't end here. But uh, yeah, Brett, uh, you have your two garage stats. Let's hear them. Yeah, well, first off, I just found that Brandon Dubitsky uh, called out Bruins fans because they were lackluster um, in Game 2, which I, I would admit, are <laughs> just what I've noticed is that he's kind of right. The, the, the Bruins fans weren't, um, the crowd seemed dead just on the TV um, um, in, in the second game. So uh, that should be interesting or a storyline to follow. I'm curious to see. I don't know what's more dangerous, calling out the Bruins fan base or calling out the star players. (laughs) Both, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just want to say, Dubinsky, Columbus fans better be be bringing it in in Columbus or then we'll, we'll have it out for him. Um, if, if that's I would different. hope so. They yeah. haven't been this far in their entire franchise know, history. They better be jacked. They better be jacked. Anyway, so I have some Tuka Rask stats. Uh, this is from Michael Hurley of CBS Boston. Um, just so I can give... This is in, like, my own research. But um, it's, it's very funny, too, whenever I, like, have conversations with other Bruins fans or even casual Bruins fans... The first question that always comes up is, are you a fan of Tuka Rask? Do you think he's a good player? And it you always... you or is that a question yeah. you ask them? No, they ask me. Because um, they, <laughs> they know I'm a... They know I have this podcast. They know I'm a big 
Bruins fan or they know like I I have some Bruins gear on or something. So they it's always like my point is is that to like as we know, it's not just Michael Felger. Um there's a bunch of people who who ask me and they say like they don't think Tuka Rask is a good is gonna be the goaltender of our um of the playoffs and like he always loses or something. But uh anyways I have a lot of stats here where it shows quite the opposite that he's actually really good in the playoffs. So, uh, so again, this is according to Michael Hurley. Um, since 2010, Tuga Rask has the third best uh, playoff save percentage um, with 924. Only Lundqvist and Holtby has a better save percentage since 2010. Um, he has a 9.33 even strength playoff save percentage that puts him second um, uh, since 2010 among goalies. Lundqvist has more with 9.34. Tukarask has 9.33. Um, so I'm sure that could be surpassed um, if Tukarask continues this way. Um, and then uh, postseason goals against average. Uh, Tukarask is only fourth, but uh, that's still pretty good. He has. Uh, 2.25 goals against average. Jonathan Quick, Lundqvist, and Holtby have uh, better goals against average in postseason since 2010. Then uh, Hurley also is another reason why I think people are very critical of Tuka Rask is because we think of Tim Thomas, um, and Tim Thomas was unbelievable in that 2011 postseason, uh, but. Even still, uh, Michael Hurley compared Tuka Rask to Tim Thomas in that 2011 postseason. So in that 2011 postseason, Tim Thomas had a 9.40 save percentage, a 9.49 even strength save percentage, a 1.98 GAA, and a 16 and 9 record with, or that's 25 games played. Um, and then uh, if you compare Tuka Rask 2013 postseason. Um, he has an identical save percentage as Tim Thomas, a 940. Um, slightly less even strength save percentage with 945. Um, he has a better GAA with a 1.88. Tim Thomas had 1.98. And a 14.8 a 14 and eight record with 22 games played, which is uh, worse than Tim Thomas, but that's understandable. Um, and then, uh, so he compares to Tim Thomas, um, and he had a great 2013 postseason. But we also like think of when we think of Tukaras, we think or in that postseason, the 2013 postseason, we think of the 17 seconds where the Blackhawks scored twice in a row, uh, and then they ended up winning. So we think like, oh, that was all Tukaras's fault. Well, Tukaras was unbelievable that entire postseason. Um, and then we have here, then Michael Hurley compares, um, does the save percentages since 2013, so not 2010. Tuga Rask has the best postseason save percentage since 2013, a 927. Braden Holtby is second there with 926. Uh, he also has this, the best uh, even strength save percentage with a 938. Uh, save percentage. Um, and then in his GAA, uh, Braden Holtby and Matt Murray are the only two goalies who don't have the best, um, who have a better GAA since 2013 in the postseason than Tuka Rask. 
uh, Tugarask, but it's still very good. Tugarask has a 2.17 uh, GAA there. Um, and then all-time uh, save percentages in the postseason, uh, Tim Thomas has the best with a 933. Braden Holpe has a 928. Um, J- John Sebastian Jaguer has a 925. And then Dominic Hasek has a 925 as well. So they tied there. And then Tugarask is fifth all-time in postseason save percentages. Um, I could go on, but um, but all that stuff is just saying that like not only is Tugarask very good in the postseason, but he's like dominant in the in the postseason. So it's like so whenever someone, whenever I hear someone mention that like he he always chokes in the postseason, it's like. Do you know that he's like he has a very good postseason record? Um, he's like very good in the postseason. So it it it's just the the narrative that he's bad, from Michael Felger to Joe Haggerty, um, to a lot of different people. It feels like, you know, we we feel like we have to mention that Tugarask is very good um, at this hockey thing. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of. I- it would be interesting if Tuka Rask was in a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey owning the Bruins every year. And everyone would be just like, why do we have this guy on our team? Yep. Well, the funny I feel, thing... I feel like that's what the reaction would be is if he was still on the Leafs. What, what's, yeah. what's, what's also going to be tough to swallow for the Bruins and every team that's in the playoffs is it's going to hurt twice as much because all of the good teams that were expected to be in this position are not... And they feel, okay, it's now or never. This has got to be our year. This is our best chance to win the Cup right now. Yeah. And it's probably going to hurt twice as much because they don't have to go through Tampa or Calgary or Nashville or Pittsburgh or Washington. Yeah. All of those teams that you think are probably going to be the toughest outs are not standing in your way. And if you still don't win the Cup because of that, like the Bruins are probably going to have the same – air of disappointment as the Leafs do right now. Yeah. The Leafs fans are probably thinking, you know, this was our year. Tampa didn't make it. Washington, Pittsburgh, none of that. None of them are standing in our way. This was our chance. We still got bounced in round one. Boston's probably going to still feel the same way if they don't make it to the conference finals. Even to the Stanley Cup finals, I feel like that's going to be a loss too. Especially because nowadays, like before this, you know, before the playoffs, I was thinking like, Okay, we'll probably lose to Tampa, but even if we get past Tampa, we'll probably lose to the Capitals. But now we have no excuse. Um, Columbus is a good team, obviously, but um, and they've they played better than the Bruins have this uh, series. But um, but I feel like if if they lose this series right now, it's going to be uh, a disappointment because uh, we are. I think we're the favorite um, according to Vegas. Um, in terms of uh, points and uh, in, in terms of odds to win the Stanley Cup. So um, right now, just because of all those teams are out. But yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is the best chance uh, out of all of them to, I, to get the I Stanley believe Cup. Boston and San Jose are two seeds, but Boston has the better record. So they got home ice all the way through it, as far as they can go. Well, the Islanders are also a two seed, but yeah. Um, yeah, but they still have the better record than the Islanders. Yeah, I think so. I think the Bruins have home ice 
for the rest of the playoffs then, right? Yeah, exactly. Precisely what I what I alluded what you to. Just yeah, said, they yeah. have home ice as far as they go. Um, so, so yeah, this is, if, if the Bruins are going to win another cup, this would be the time to do it. So yeah, yep. there's that. Um, Cause the problem, the problem is, you know, yeah, you know, you have teams like Pittsburgh that, you know, might be regressing and, you know, a lot of other teams are catching up to them, but yep. Tampa's probably still going to get stronger. Washington still has a good core where they could still win. And you, you, you got to think that, you know, Toronto maybe would figure it out and, you know, Florida could emerge as a threat. You never know. So um, a, a lot could happen where <laughs> a, a lot could happen that uh, could ruin your chances uh, in a few years now. So while you have the while you have the chance to win the Stanley Cup now, you might as well take it. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, let's get off the air now first off oh thanks thanks to michael hurley by the way of cbs boston i don't want to get sued or anything um uh for for finding all that information um don't, don't sue us please we have nothing yeah. for you i don't even know if he could sue us because we're like we're putting this out for free it's not like we're making money off of this um yeah. but um but anyways do credit to him um follow him or whatever um yeah, so you can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify. I think we're on Stitcher. We'll see. Um, and then you can also follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 170 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. <laughs>